0: Hello and welcome to Springboard, your virtual university. My name is Albert Okran, welcoming you on behalf of Team Springboard. This is your most inspirational show and the place where the greatest minds in the world converge. Brought to you by the Springboard Ratio Foundation and proudly sponsored by MTN Pulse and the Enterprise Group with media support from the multimedia group and the graphic business. Today I get to meet a very special person and the CEO of the Ghana Commodity Exchange. Tuchi Ivoi is my guest for today. Tuchi, good to see you.
1: Great to see you, Rev.
0: Thanks for making time to join us here on The Virtual University. It's a pleasure to be talking to you again. And talking about again, the last time was at that highly successful EWN conference where we had to work together on one of the panels. I really enjoyed it. I did.
1: It was insightful, honestly, spending that time with all of you, looking at things from a different perspective. I think, you know, women conferences are always inviting a bunch of women, but we need to hear from the men, and it was just a privilege to host that panel. So
0: Yes, yes, and Kofi, Kofi Michael and I, we felt very honored to bring some perspectives from my personal viewpoint, especially talking about the influence of my mother in my life, that was very, very special. So just for the benefit of those of us who may not have met Tuchi before she took up the role as CEO of the Ghana Commodity Exchange, She worked for 15 years with Nestle in various roles, including Managing Director, Marketing Communications Director, Business Unit Director, Managing Businesses and Teams across 22 countries. And that, for me, is very special. Tell me about traveling. How do you find it working in different cultures and languages, practicing your craft?
1: It's a wonderful thing because it opens your eyes to so many things. I think when we're working, we can get stuck in a certain sense of myopia, but when you travel and you're working in different cultures, you can never get comfortable. Um, And and what you learn about people, about culture, it just opens your eyes to different things. Even in business, it it allows you to be so much more insightful. So it's, it's, it's a wonderful thing. Do different
0: countries and cultures place different demands on your managerial abilities?
1: different demands, different expectations, um, and certainly you have to look at management style. It doesn't mean you have to change, but you do have to adapt depending Mm -hmm. on the kind of culture you're in, if you want to succeed.
0: The global study on the critical skills needed for survival always highlights flexibility. And I think that COVID has made the emphasis on flexibility even more pronounced. Would you see that um, it's, it's even more real as you travel across, across the world in different cultures?
1: Absolutely. Um, you know, we, we're in Africa. I've worked in Asian cultures, Southeast Asian cultures. You have some similarities. Even religion plays a role. But when you go and you work in the West, expectations are different so where you might think you're being helpful um, by asking a lot of questions by taking your time to explain you might actually be impeding someone's progress somewhere in the West because they're expecting clear fast simple instructions so they can get on with it so you really have to be flexible you have to understand that yes you may have a style but you need to adapt it sometimes to be able to get through um, to, to the people you're communicating with. Communication is not one way you can communicate, but if they haven't understood or they haven't taken it in, then really, have you communicated? So you
0: ask questions and you listen? You listen. All right. What about language? How critical is having multilingual abilities in the course of humanitarian journey?
1: I think, you know, we take for granted that English is a kind of global language and it's true that, you know, pretty much every country you go to, especially in multinationals or large companies, the majority of people will speak English or at least a good level of English. But when you go and you, you know, ingrain yourself in another's culture and you at least make an attempt to understand, even if not speak fluently, their language, you can actually get so much further. Um, you know, the command of the English language, it's easy for those who are English-speaking, but for those who are not, you can get through to them in another way. When I was in Indonesia, I really took my time to learn the language. I must say it was quite easy to learn. Um, wow. But let's say the vocabulary is similar to the kind of A to Z. Um, so it was easy to learn in a what few you know weeks. It's called Bahasa Indonesia. So I could speak it at a basic level. And, you know, it came to a point where I could actually make presentations in the language. And when you're trying to work with a team to sell a product, you're going out into the field to the sales team. At that level, not everyone's speaking English as fluently. So there was nothing like connecting with them on that level to really allow yourself to penetrate. And I think it it really worked wonders. It, It helped. I could honestly say that it contributed to business growth positively. Interesting, next to English, which is your strongest language? It's very sad to say French. I say sad to say because I'm a Ghanaian, my dad is an Ever, my mom is a Ghana. The Ever I've done a pitiful job, but I blame it on my father. You. you know, as, as a kid I wanted to <laughs> learn <laughs> so he, he, he'll see this and I'll tease him but I really wanted to learn it um, Ga, I, I do understand it fluently um, but yes French I'm, I'm conversant with the language I've worked in French countries um, and I've had to use it so that helps when you're using it on a daily basis it, it really I had an help.
0: atrocious experience trying to learn French um, at the primary level and I speak for many people when I see that for many people who ran away from French, it was due to the teacher they had at the primary level. And growing up, I realized more and more how helpful it would have been to have French, especially when I began to write and speak. So um, the biggest thing that I've done in the area of French, Comfort and I, is to give our children the, the desire and the exposure. So two of our children read French up to undergrad, mm-hmm. which was great, oh. but I, I speak very little French. <laughs> I wouldn't even attempt, But you, you seem to, do you think in French?
1: When I was living, I spent a year in France, when I was living there, you know, I studied political science and French at university. I spent my third year in France studying political science in French at a higher institute, so I had no choice but to really immerse myself in the language. At that point, I would dream in French, I would think in French and translate into English. Now, it's okay, English, and I'm translating to French, so it's really a matter of the time I spend and where I spend it, but yes, there have been times when that has happened. <laughs>
0: I'll come to your work at the exchange, but the more you talk about your travels and the language and the culture and the nuances, the more interested I get. Tell me, did you always want to travel when you were young?
1: Funny enough, I did. Um, you know, I, I, I don't know if I ever said it in words, but my, in my mind, I was traveling around the world. I was working in different countries. Um, and honestly, it's just reminding me about the power of you know, visualization. Absolutely. Because from a very, very young age, I, I, I knew I was going, I saw it. There are certain things I pronounced with my mouth, such as the fact that I wanted to study English, French and history at A-level... And I was saying that before I was even 10. I think I was about 7 when I said, you know, I told my dad, we were like best friends. I was like, Dad, I'm going to study English, French, and History. And Seriously. that's exactly what I did, but I added a fourth, um, Politics. So some things I pronounced, some things I, you know, I had in my head. So, yes, I, I, I guess I knew I wanted to travel.
0: <laughs> in, my, in my interview with Lucy Quest a couple of weeks ago, Lucy mentioned that she, her mother, seen planes fly over, even in the semi rural community, told herself she will travel across the world and she did. And she says the mom has gone to Australia. She mm-hmm. hasn't gone to Australia. She's <laughs> a she's a global business icon. She hasn't gone to Australia. Her mother has gone there. And and it just reminds me of something that Professor Lydia Aziato, the 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 Vice Chancellor of UHAS in Ho, um, also said about Growing up in a rural community and, and, and looking at places and seeing that she would travel the world and she would learn and she would expand her scope, I, I, I seem to be settling on the fact that the visual imagery, the things you dream about in your childhood or, or you even say, sometimes unknowingly, can influence your career path. Would you advise parents, mentors, and people who have a big influence on young people to point them? to be careful about what they say because it would seem that once the positive can happen the negative can also happen
1: definitely but also to encourage them in the things that they're naturally interested in help
0: me understand
1: that i was really blessed to be able to you know pursue all my different passions Um, as a kid i was very sporty my parents would come to every you know competition sports game i was at um, I loved music. I used to play the clarinets. They'd come when we had a concert. Um, I was in an opera. They would came. So everything I was interested in, in. I grew up in the UK. Okay,
0: so, so I'll tell about you about. Sports yeah. in.
1: So I was athletics. So I used okay. to sprint, 100 meters, long mean? jump. Yes, <laughs> I was always winning. And in fact, I, I stopped when I started not winning. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I, know you. Was, I was very sporty. I played right. basketball. I was one of two girls in the basketball team. Netball. Football. Um, I was the captain of most of the sports teams. I, I really, I, I was. In fact, my my all my family were sports. Tell me about my it siblings as well.
0: which which part of the UK was it?
1: Finchley, North London. Right. Yeah.
0: I know the place very well. Yeah. So tell me about tell me about it.
1: Well, for us, we spent our formative years there, so that really was my first home. What was good about it was, again, growing up generally, I was able to pursue different passions. I was, you know, had exposure to different things. My school was known for having a good choir, um, so when one of the big opera houses came to audition people for an opera, I was in the audition and I got the chance to be in an opera, Tosca, in the West End. So I you know, ask about
0: yes. that. I, 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 I had a <laughs> chance to go to the West End a couple of times and limbs rubbles and
1: Yes, and, oh and all oh of I those, it's, it's a
0: beautiful I, thing. I, I think the West End is is just a, and talking about that. I mean. I, I, I sometimes catch Uncle Evil a good friend of mine, and see, when we get the kind of West End in Ghana where you see Lion King has been shown yes. for 22 years, yes. every single day.
1: I definitely look forward to that point, honestly, because we, we have so much when it comes to the arts and culture. We are so rich in it, but I think the resources and consistency over time, um, we, we need to you know, put our money where our mouths are, and really try to promote art and, and culture in Ghana. Because people will come. People will so come. So you performed in the West End. I did. I must, you, I must tell you, that. Wow. Of course, it was just a chorus role, it but to matter. have that privilege to be able to, you know, be on that um, stage, it was a wonderful thing. So growing up, I, I think I, I had a very good childhood. I made a lot of friends. Um, I'm. Let let me say that I'm. Um, I, I like being by myself. Okay. You know, when people ask me, are you an introvert? Extra- in, in fact, they don't ask, they assume I'm an extrovert. I'm an introvert, I love spending time by myself, I love to read and so on. But I do like people and I make friends easily. I made a lot of friends from you know, many different nationalities and I think all of that has combined to you know, enrich my experience and, and make me the person I am. So growing up was a, a, a wonderful time for me. Um, and then I came to Ghana one day It was 20-something years ago I came on holiday and I never went back.
0: What happened? What what caught your attention? I
1: loved it. The sun, first of all. (laughs) All I came at a time when, you know, in fact, there is still a lot of growth. When you're in the West, you start working. I started my career in the UK. Just to grow by 2% is a big deal because, you know, a lot of businesses and industries are saturated. Then you come here and you can grow by 30% a year. It's right. something else. I think at the time I came, I realized, look, we are, you know, Ghana is a wonderful country. There's so much potential. Why don't I stick around and see how I can also contribute to that? You um, but it was all by mistake.
0: I'll come to the mistake, but sure. you a very interesting conversation when you say, you got here, and you say, Ghana is a lovely country and you want to stay here. <laughs> In my conversation, let me reference once again my conversation with Lucy, who says there are two stories in every story. We actually had it published in the in the Daily Graphic, that particular um, um, article, and we'll publish it as well. And she contrasts the fact that um, almost like the the book, a tale of two cities, mm. or, or, or um, you have people who are rushing to run away, and then others who say, "Wow, it's it's a it's a beautiful opportunity to be here and be mm. part of this." How do you have, in one story, two such contrasting perspectives? I mean, people, I, think, I hear the word is not you You are eager to run out of Ghana and go to any embassy that will give you a chance to fly out. And then you are saying you came here and you, you got so attracted and you didn't want to go back. Tell me about those two stories.
1: I think I'd start by just using the word mindset. Okay. You know, people think the grass is greener that's the perpetual story the grass is greener on the it never is i think and and remember when i started by sharing about my childhood i said i had a wonderful childhood it enriched you know my whole experience and and brought me to where i am today so i didn't complain i loved it but when i came here i loved it too so it was about seeing what was rich here seeing what was good and deciding that i also wanted to be part of that so i wasn't running from something to something Mm. I came here and I just said, well, this is something. In fact, I came with one suitcase. Like I said, I was on holiday and I was going to go back, but I met somebody by chance. He's called Mr Gedilaye. A lot of people know in you the um, know. You know, advertising industry will know him. He said, look, why are you running back? Just come. We have something, you know, a project I'd like you to work on that. Um, so I said, why not? Let me go and see him at his office. We spoke. I said, okay, good. I'll stay for a few months and work on this project. Those few months turned into what ended up being one year because apart from the one project that he enticed me with, it was to do with um, tourism. We were working on something for the Ministry of Tourism. And like I said, Ghana was a wonderful place. And, you know, this this was exciting. Let me have a a little part in seeing how we can develop this tourism area. But then he ended up giving me a whole bunch of other clients to work with in a very short space of time. Long story short, one of those clients was Nestle, who then asked me to join them. So I'll, I'll come back. So here I was in a wonderful place, enjoying myself. Like I said, I didn't have any regrets about where I'd been, but I also said, this is a wonderful opportunity. And I think that's the difference. People are running from here because they think there's, it's no good and it's got to be better abroad. Why not make the most of where you are right now? When you go somewhere else, you do the same thing. You make the most of it. It's about seeing beauty in everything or seeing potential everywhere. Mm-hmm. So as much as you know, Africans are trying to run to the other side, I can tell you, in the West, many people are trying to run here. Go around, go to um, schools. Um, if you have kids, go to schools where you have a lot of expat parents. If you're in, you know, companies where you have expatriates, talk to them. You'll see just how happy they are. You know, they have countries they, they're coming from. You know, different parts of the West, but they love it here. They've made new lives and they can't wait to, you know, go and experience even other parts of Africa. So it's really in the mind. It's in the mind. Let me explore
0: the idea of. A mistake becoming an opportunity. You use the words actually was by mistake. Help me to understand that one.
1: It was by mistake because I didn't plan it. So the same way that people say, oh, I'm you know I want to move back, you know, but I'm nervous. Is it going to be good? Is it you know going to work? Will I get frustrated because things are slower in Ghana or in Africa? Um, is it really going to work? So there's a lot of um, anticipation. There are nerves, and often when people come with that, they're already bogged down. So they're not giving themselves that opportunity to to to, to flourish. In my case, because I only came on on holiday, I may have stuck around for three months because I, you know, I was working in the UK. I didn't love my job. I decided to leave, come to Ghana. This is the country of my birth. This is the country, um, you know, where I'm from. I wanted to get to know Ghana a little bit. So three months, why not? but that chance encounter that led me to you know taking on a project that led me to then staying on longer and then getting nestle inviting me to join them even with nestle they said you know we have a new business we want to start that's nescafe coffee we're not yet in the coffee business here we want somebody to come and set up the coffee business launch this brand in a big way nescafe Um, Would you do that? Would you stay for at least two years to get that started? Because they knew my plan was to go back. So I said, you know what, why not? Even, you know, as a teenager, I used to love the Nescafe brand. Um, So what a wonderful opportunity. So again, it was by, let's say, chance. It wasn't something I'd planned to do. But a brand I've always loved now inviting me to come and help to set it up in Ghana. And by the way, when I came to your office, I was served with a tray of nice, you know, Nescafe products. Big, big fans Nescafe of, of three Nescafe. 3-in-1, which I, I which I launched <laughs> here in Ghana. So I was very um, happy to see that. And then two years with Nestle turned into three, four, five, six. Before you knew it, I was with them for 15 years. So all of this has been unplanned, has been by chance, but has been a wonderful thing.
0: I have two friends in the UK who lead an organization called Migration to Ghana, which um, Kwame and and Jackie, and I'm sure they are watching this and saying, oh my goodness, this is a great conversation. They they have a network of people who genuinely are considering, either in the short term or medium term, um, relocating. They sometimes talk about, there was a whole um, program that he had that I, I joined from here, talking about the opportunities and the challenges of somebody who has lived all their lives in the uh, in Ghanaians, for that matter who've lived all their lives in the uk or uh, on the diaspora who are thinking of relocating what would you say to a person who genuinely wants to be a part of the story that you describe or take advantage of these moments that come your way that could probably be the be the the doorway to the future but also is aware of the challenges that come with leaving what you are so comfortable with to try out or strike out and, and try out hope your message to them
1: I mean, people will tell you you need patience to come and, and, you know, live and work in Ghana. Certain things may not go as fast (laughs) or will not go as fast. Um, You have to relate to people in a different way. You know, if you go to anyone's office today and you don't greet them and then suddenly you need to ask them something, you go back, they're not going to help you. But it's about understanding the culture. And actually, if you're from Ghana, you know, give Ghana a, a chance. I'd say look at all the things that we have here, just family alone, that support system, everything you love. I know Ghanaians who live in, you know, the UK and America, different parts of the world, they congregate together, they're still eating their fufu and soup and doing all the Ghanaian things. Why not come and do it here um, and actually be part of society and be part of making that change? One thing that I don't respect is people complaining and not wanting to do anything about it. If you want to use your mouth, use it positively. Come and you know advocate for those um, changes that you want to see made. Actually, do the work with your hands because that's what's going to change. If you want your children or your grandchildren one day to enjoy this country that you proudly you know um, call your 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 home, then who? is going to be the one to make those changes, those positive contributions. So if you think you've seen something that's working well abroad, come and, you know, be part of making that um, change here. Remember, the things are also working very well here that others are now trying to emulate abroad. So again, it's shifting that thinking that everything is, everything is not perfect anywhere, but it can be good um, and you can, you know, be at home nothing like being at home in your own home that's what i would say there's nothing
0: like being at home in your own home the voice of tuchi the ceo of the ghana commodity exchange helping us to unpack the story of her life Tuchi will shortly be telling us about what she does on her 9 to 5 or 8 to 5 whichever time it is that she works but before that i'd like to to ask you your biggest Assets as a person. If you woke up one morning and somebody just was standing there asking you, "Tell me, you are different. What are your biggest assets?"
1: I I care about people mm-hmm. genuinely. I have um, I have compassion. I have deep compassion, and this stems from you know very early in my life. I remember things like you know, watching the starving kids of Ethiopia taking my pocket money, saving it, and posting it to be able to help, you know, with food. I used to um, write to people, and and this, I don't know where it came from, but I used to write letters to prisoners um, because I knew that a lot of people would go and then everyone would, you know, leave them behind, and you know, that loneliness, so I'd write individual letters. In school, I hated, hated, hated to see people being bullied. And I shared recently because I didn't actually realize this was a thing until somebody asked me one day. I have a mental health foundation and somebody asked me, but why did you set that up? Have you had experience with? And I said, no, funny enough, I haven't. But I think I've always had this thing for the underdog, people who are treated differently because they're misunderstood for some reason or another. And because of that, I think it was because of that sporty background in school, because I was captain of all the teams, I used to come first. That led to you know me becoming very popular. Because by nature, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a homebody. I'd, when other kids were out playing, I'd be at home reading. But somehow people were drawn to me, and I think these were all parts of the, the, the reason. So I would use that at least to get the kids to stop bullying you know, other kids. And for many years, a lot of people who used to be bullied you know, were happy and, you know, they'd come to me and I'd, you know, hang with them and, you know, so things like that. That's me. I have a genuine compassion for people. And do you find the compassion becoming an
0: asset in your professional career and your leadership?
1: I'd like, you know, those who I work with to speak on my behalf rather than for me to assume it, but I do think that people are able to work with me. Having said that, I'm actually also very tough on the job. Um, I, I have to make that clear. I work hard and I expect the same from everyone I work with so I I don't take excuses easily. Um, For me no is not an answer when it comes to getting the job done. How can we get it done? Yes there may be challenges but I think if we really bring out what the challenges are together we can find solutions. I'm not somebody who will chastise anybody for making a mistake on the job but I will chastise you if you kept it quiet. That that's really important so for communication me. Is very important. Communication is important. Honesty is important because I believe that we can solve any challenge, we can overcome any difficulty if we know what the issues are. We can work together to trash out a solution. So I am tough on the job, but at the same time, you know, even I can be tough on you. I can fire you if you haven't, you know, respected, um, you, you, you know, the work you've been given to do. But it doesn't mean I will hate you. We can still have a relationship so after you that. So smile and
0: give the dismissal
1: <laughs> So that's my other asset, is a smile. When I meet people, I can't help it. I smile, and right. it comes from within. And I think um, that, that, that is definitely an asset. If, if I can lift somebody's day just for a second, I I think it's a good thing.
0: Tuchi Ibo is my guest for today in the engine room, and she's smiling as she's telling me <laughs> about the, the, the seeming contradiction of compassion and and I love that. Let's go for a brief break. Allow her to drink some Nescafe and catch her breath. <laughs> when we come back, let's ask about the Ghana Commodity Exchange, and then also ask about serendipity. How does a chance encounter radically change the course of your entire life? And you look back and you see, you know what? It was even a mistake. Peace, boy.
1: Doing. Doing gets you learning. Learning starts you wondering. Wandering triggers thinking. Thinking becomes planning. Planning evolves to trying. After trying, you're succeeding, winning, owning. Now, doing that starts with outdoing your limits. Outdo them all with MTN. So, what are we doing today?
0: Grandma looked very peaceful. I was completely amazed when I saw her neatly presented. She looked just like she was sleeping.
1: You haven't seen anything yet, my brother. You should have seen the care and quality treatment they gave her at transitions. Eh? One man, one room, just like a five-star hotel. Wow. And not only that, we had a dedicated person to guide the family through the funeral planning process. Are you sure? Of course. From picking her up to when we lowered grandma down, everything was completely stress-free. They had all the needed funeral services, caskets, hairs, chapel, and so much more.
0: (laughs) And oh, did I tell you they are affordable? Transitions, the funeral people to springboard your virtual university and to this wonderful conversation with Chivo, the CEO of the Ghana Commodity Exchange. Springboard is brought to you by the Springboard ratio Foundation and proudly sponsored by MTM Pulse and the Enterprise Group with media support from the multimedia group and the graphic communications group. We will we'll definitely publish this this transcript in tomorrow's edition of the, of the daily graphic to help you to appreciate the thoughts that she's so wonderfully articulating when i grew up i'll be a good communicator like her because she sleeps eats and drinks marketing and communication and she's been talking about about the fact that a seeming chance encounter moved her from the uk where she had been based to ghana where she wanted to be a part of the the ghana experience and she is a ghanaian but the, the the relocation um, was occasioned by a holiday that turned into a chance encounter and turned into a new career path. And that that part of the story has been very, very interesting for me. But Tuchi, let's, let's get back to what you do today on a daily basis, the Ghana Commodity Exchange. What is it about it? What do you do?
1: So I think the most simple way um, I can explain it is to say that it's like a stock exchange, except that instead of the trading of stocks, we facilitate the trade of commodities. I'll try to break it down in just a few minutes because I think a lot of people um, would appreciate an understanding of it. Um, We bring buyers and sellers together to trade. So we don't trade, but we have a platform. We're basically a marketplace, and it's an electronic marketplace. As a seller of commodities, and today we've started with agricultural commodities, but in the future we can list other types of commodities like metals and minerals. Let's say a seller has grains they want to sell, they're looking for buyers rather than wait and you know for any buyer to come to them they can bring their grains to one of our warehouses. They have to be a member though, we're a membership based organization. So they have grains, they bring it to our warehouse to sell. We have buyers who are looking for grains and rather than going to different, you know, farm gates, one farm after another, trying to aggregate the grains, they can come to the Ghana Commodity Exchange, one-stop shop, to look for those um, grains to buy. So this is what we mean by bringing buyers and sellers together. All people who are trading on the exchange are members. We are a regulated institution. We're regulated by the Securities and Exchange Commission. The way the current trading um, system works, we, we have a spot trading contract so if you sell your grains today, it means that it's been in our warehouse. When you're ready to sell, you put it up for sale um, on an electronic, you know, on the trading platform. A buyer who is looking for the same quality grains may go into the platform and once he sees that this is available at this price, the seller puts in their price, the buyer puts in the price they want. If there's a match between the um, sell order price and the buyer order price, then basically the trade is affected the buyer can go to our warehouse to pick the grains and the seller will receive their payment from the Ghana Commodity Exchange within 24 hours, because the buyer would have deposited funds in one of our settlement accounts. It's a bit deep and it can sound rather complex when I go into detail, but really it's it's simple. Members who have come, who have been trained, know how to use the platform. It's pretty seamless and yes, farmers are trading on the exchange. That's one of the four (laughs) questions I have
0: for you that I'm sure you will be very happy to answer. One is that it will seem that this is aimed at reducing post-harvest losses, significantly.
1: Absolutely. So
0: my first question was, are the farmers um, patronising this and you say that they are. Yes. My second question is where would where would your warehouse and silos all be, be located? So in current, parts of the country? currently
1: we have, we, we've just listed five commodities, um, maize that's white maize, yellow maize, soybean, sorghum, sesame and rice. So we have warehouses in the production areas. So from Ashanti, Brongahafo and up to the northern um, regions of the country as well. North, upper east, upper west. Yeah. So those are where we have warehouses.
0: Wow. So so, from your perspective, this could be the game changer in our agribusiness drive.
1: It is definitely a game changer. We started small, um, very deliberately. So, this is a new thing. It's major, and you know, first of all, there's a lot of infrastructure that needs um, to be built around it. Because for every commodity, you need a certain you know number of warehouses to store them. You need to bring market actors on board. People have to understand the benefits of trading on an exchange people will ask you things like well is it not going to make the price of king more expensive is it not going to cut out the middleman so many questions but actually it's there to benefit different market actors i'll just give a very um, specific example as a farmer if you sell your commodity through the exchange one is that you understand the price you understand the value of your commodity Mm -hmm. so we don't just sell maize Wholesale we sell graded maize so grade one it being the highest quality down to grade four being in, in Quotation marks the lowest quality a grade one quality maize means that you can use this to produce Cereal for you know infant food adult nutrition Somebody may go for a grade three to buy for animal feed for example, so Depending on the grade, you can receive a premium for that um, commodity. So already the transparency in terms of pricing and the value of your commodity is there for a farmer. For what you call the middleman today, that's an aggregator. Normally they'll just go take from the farmer, then they'll go and sell, they make their money. The farmers often get very little. Whatever the aggregator will pay them, sometimes the farmer has no choice. He needs money to feed his children and so on. He takes whatever he gets. he or she she gets. (laughs) I was going to come to that. And today, the aggregator can also make money on the exchange. They can act as a broker. So a trader can trade by themselves you know, directly on the exchange or they can decide to go through a broker. Maybe they can't be bothered with the headache. They'll go through a broker. So this previous aggregator can set up a company and act as a broker. They get a percentage. They get a fee. But at least the farmer knows the fee that the aggregator is getting or the broker is getting, and they know how much they're getting for their so commodity. They're empowered. they're empowered. It's a win-win for everybody. And then a buyer who is looking for a certain quality knows that they will get that quality when they buy. Kind of the cost of the trial and
0: error. Exactly. Skill. Let's talk about skill. Mm-hmm. Can this be skilled up big time such that everybody
1: then more products? Yeah. Can be listed? Absolutely. Um, and, and that's the phase we're in. So when we started, we knew we had to go step by step, improve um, the model, ensure that it works so that we can build confidence in the market. Now we've gotten to the point where we're literally ready to scale up. We have certain um, you know, initiatives we're working on with different institutions. There's the Ministry of Food and Agriculture who's looking at increasing production and the volume and the value, the, and the, the let's say the quality of production. They're also going to be working with the commodity exchange. We'll be managing some of the warehouses and, you know, bringing these um, good quality grains through to off-takers. So there's a lot, and we are uh, are at the point where we're getting ready to scale. That's just in Ghana alone. The second phase will then be to open up to cross-border trade, regional trade. And this is something that we've already started working on. Um just a couple of weeks ago, we brought um, all the existing African commodity exchanges to Ghana. We invited them over to talk about um, potentially forming an association of commodities African commodity exchanges working with the African continental free trade area. And every single one agreed. So this was really, um, it, it's a major, um, turning point for commodity exchanges for agriculture in all our African countries. And we'll be meeting again next week to sign an MOU and to take, not not the conversation, but to take the action um, further. So we're, we're, in a, we're, we're at that point now.
0: Let me take advantage of your presence and your experience um, first with Nestle and then also with the commodity exchange to explore um, the possibilities the, the immense possibilities in the field of agribusiness who would like to for lack of a better word borrow your voice and your leverage on your 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 reach to excite the young people of this country about agribusiness what would you like to see about the potential in farming agriculture agribusiness
1: yeah i think in the last six seven years we've been talking a lot you'll hear different people saying you know we're now trying to make agriculture sexy, you know. Um, the, the the picture of the hoe and cutlass with the old farmer is, is gone. And there's a new picture emerging. So many youth, literally in the last five years, you're seeing youth enter um, agribusiness because they've realized that even farming, because ag- agribusiness is huge. I mean, from the farm to processing, manufacturing, creating brands, exporting them globally. The chain, the value chain is wide, but even farming alone, there's money to be made in farming. But now, when you know that you can plant um, a seed, you know, turn it into a crop, trade that crop on a commodity exchange using this electronic trading platform to be able to access markets in Ghana and globally, then you can take that. Crop, turn it into a a finished good which you can then brand, package, and be able to position it for trade on a global level. It's major. Mm. The opportunities are immense. So, like I said, even farming alone. If you have a passion for any particular um, product, I think, you know, do some research, go into it, but understand that you have a whole chain. Mm. You can work with collaborators, you can work with partners, you don't have to take part in the entire value chain, but understand that it is a, a, a massive business and I think people who are clued onto that are now putting whatever small funds they have, they're investing it into agribusiness just the Ghana commodity exchange alone the kind of jobs that are now becoming available and the kind of businesses you can create i just spoke a few minutes ago about the aggregators the traditional aggregators who are now setting up you know companies to be able to trade on a on an electronic exchange like this. They'll be able to have access to markets globally. They'll start by employing two, three people. Um, some of them that we started with were kind of one man shop. Now some of them have twenty people, some have moved, you know, even bigger. And you can see the volumes of their trades increasing year after year. It tells you something, and that's just one type of job or one type of company you can set up. There are so many. It's unbelievable. So many. People are building apps for, Absolutely. you know, um, to, to, to support the business. So yes, it's it's immense. And I'm very excited about it. And I think people um, should do their research and really think critically about investing in this area. No country can move to full industrialization until they've really um, developed an ag- a strong agricultural economy. It starts here. So if you want to you know, be part of that drive, this is it, and this is the time. When all the focus is behind agriculture, this is the time to put um, your efforts and, and your money in. Absolutely
0: yeah. beautifully captured. Tichi voice is our guest for today. And we Springboard is partnering with the Mastercard Foundation on a program called Ghana Grows. In our work across the country, um, engaging with young people, trying to find out what would make them consider a career, a decent and fulfilling job in agriculture, agribusiness, and technical and vocational skills. Last week, I posted a simple question and One of the responses that I found were very interesting relating to what you just said is that somebody simply said, he who feeds you, or the one who feeds you controls you. And it just struck me that, wow, (laughs) the one who feeds you Mm -hmm controls you. And so it, food self-sufficiency yes. um, is, is not it's a no-brainer. We can't even debate about it. Mm-hmm. As long as you can't feed yourself, you are vulnerable yeah. in one way or another. And exactly. COVID made us yeah. see that once things become tough, or even the Russia-Ukraine war, once things become tough, <laughs> they keep what they have, <laughs> exactly. and suddenly, suddenly, you are, you are disrupted in a big way. Let's talk about our words. In the course of your, your work, You've been recognised among uh, uh, with several awards, including 100 most outstanding female change makers in Ghana. That was 2020, 2021. The Corporate Ghana Hall of Fame, National Innovative Business Leader of the Year 2022, and quite an, a number of others. How have these awards affirmed what the values and principles that you you live by as a person?
1: I'd say. Um and this is something which i don't share enough with my you know mentees with my colleagues with those i work a lot of people need affirmation and i think there's nothing wrong with that i've i've worked with so many people in so many different countries with so many different personalities there was one lady um you know who was in my team in one of the countries i worked in one day she came and she said to me am i doing a good job because you know you haven't said anything so i had to reassure her i said I'm so sorry. I want you to know that you are doing an amazing job. The reason I haven't said anything is I tend to talk when there's a problem. When there's no problem, that's, I, I, you don't hear from me. So if I'm not... Communication and feedback. That's it. But you know, communication and feedback is different for different people. Right. So I've never been the person who was waiting for my boss to tell me you did a good job. It doesn't move me very much, honestly if my boss says well done i'm uh, thank you but it's not what moves me but when my boss then gives me another challenge or gives me a project then i know that that's coming from a place of confidence Mm. he or she has believed that i've done a good job in this and they've given me that you know responsibility to do this next job and that's when i say wow thank you for that confidence that you have in me so for different people feedback mean something different. So for her, she wanted me, each time she did something well, for me to tell her that. And because I learned that that was her style, I made sure that, you know, from that moment on, I would always tell her when she did a good job. You will always hear me when there is a problem. When something's not going well, I will intervene. I'm ready to help the team down to the smallest detail if I have to. But by nature, I'm not a micromanager. I give people space to get, you know, that's the way I thrive. Give me so the task me and let me get exception. on with it. but <laughs> if you you know but if you want me to hold your hand, I will. So this is where we talked earlier about flexibility. Okay. So yes so for me the let's say the recognition, the, the recognition, awards, the, awards the, the the deep satisfaction has come from being you know being put in positions of privilege to be able to do what I love, to be able to contribute to different things. Again, throughout my career, apart from one job which I really didn't like, (laughs) I've actually loved everything that I've done and I felt that I've contributed something. Today, what I'm doing with the Ghana Commodity Exchange is something which is sometimes difficult to express into words because the kind of impact that we are creating it may touch one farmer one day it touches a hundred thousand another day hopefully one day it touches you know 10 million farmers but it's something that i can't put into words and i know the team feels the same so that for me is real um it, it's an it's it's a reward let's say for is the work not back that to the we're doing
0: that you talked about when you were a child looking at the farmer in this case isolated as the underprivileged and feeling that your work is helping to make them more empowered
1: i believe so i I, I think you know when we one of our values at the organization is equality i really believe that we should be at a place where we're not talking about different groups or classes of people in different ways when it comes to certain things everyone should be on a level playing field and the kind of um let's say the kind of impact that a commodity exchange can bring beyond everything I spoke about access to markets and things like that there's a whole access to finance angle today you know a smallholder farmer cannot go to the bank to get credit because maybe they don't have land they don't own especially a woman you know the, the land is not in their name it goes to the man so they own no land, they own no house, they own no car but today with a warehouse receipt from the Ghana Commodity Exchange. This is basically just proof that we have custody of your commodity. You can use that to go As for language. a short-term loan. That's that's an impact, and, and that's bringing people closer to being you know, on the same level or having similar access to opportunities, and I think that's important,
0: yeah. <laughs> is my guest for today. She's the CEO of the Ghana Commodity Exchange. In the engine room with me today, unpacking the story of her life. As you begin to wind down, Tishi. Have you failed before?
1: Well, in my job, let's say there's been one challenge after another. People ask, you know, how I, you know, respond to challenges. And I'd say that almost every role I've been put in, it's almost like, you know, a kind of set up to fail because I've either been asked to go and set up something completely new. And with that, it's always 50 50. You're either going to fail, you're going to succeed. Or I've been asked to go and turn around a troubling business. Um, you know, with one or two options, either turn it around, shut it down, things like that. So it's always been um, tricky and it's always been challenging. Not all of them have gone the way that, you know, I've wanted them to go. At different points, I haven't gotten the results that I wanted.
0: Let's talk about one of them, because then the reason is this. You look so well put together that somebody says, "See, this is the life I want to, but my reality is different. So let's talk about the moment when you felt, it's is, is it all coming down? I mean, is there no option left for me? Have you ever felt that way? Almost, I, ha- almost helpless?
1: I have, but at the same time, the honest truth is that, and again, maybe because of the nature of the roles I've always been given, it's always been a kind of close shave. And I think one thing, and I'm, I'm glad you've asked me that because it's given me the opportunity to say this, I'm... A very I have a very strong and close relationship with God and that has been what has carried me throughout my career actually nothing else if, if I didn't have that I can tell you I don't know. you know I say people who don't know God I truly feel for them I don't know if this is politically correct to say but I fine. do wonder how they cope when you know things get tough the reason I've been able to cope is because I this, this is the the relationship that I have, but also because I believe that He puts me, He leads me in some of these um, areas. There have been certain jobs when I've, you know, first been asked to to take them, my first instinct was to say no, but I've had conversations with God and He says, no, I'm not going to take you somewhere and not be with you, and so I go. And because I know that, even when things are going really bad, I'm... I bear it because I say there's a bigger picture. There's something else I'm supposed to learn from this. You can't become resilient without going through the mud. And, and, you know, resilience is something which you shouldn't even take for granted because every single person at some point in their life is going to go through some crushing. Mm. So the more resilient you are, the stronger you are, the better you'll be able to handle it. And so even that I take, um, you know, when I went to Indonesia, that was a really tough um, assignment because there, the business, it's not that the business was bad, but compared to other parts of the world, it wasn't doing as good. And so we had a clear challenge to go and, you know. And I was called there as an expert and I was coming from Africa. Imagine people are looking at me. Who's why why is this African being sent here to come and you know what does this person know? And it was tough. And every day and every month, it's like just when you are a little bit of hope, yes. It was tough. But you know what? I made such great friends there. And as a Christian going into a country which is a majority Muslim population and my colleagues there asking me, but what is the secret behind your strength? How come you're always so calm? How come you're so confident? And I could share about my faith. That was a beautiful thing. They were interested. They didn't ask me, um, you know, with the hopes that I wouldn't say anything. We'd actually engage and I'd talk about, you know, um, my belief in Jesus and what's brought me here. And we got to have those real conversations and I built relationships for life. So, yes, for me, it's not an easy thing.
0: Consider writing.
1: Yes, I love to write. Um, writing a book. Yes, I started during um, lockdown. <laughs> I started during the COVID period. But once everything came back to normal, I kind of, you know, put it on the shelf. But I will definitely write. Finish, I write articles that book sometimes. And let's have a about I writers. will. I will. I write articles sometimes. You might see sometimes in the Business and Financial Times, Harvard Business Review. I've done bits and pieces, um, Chartered Institute of Marketing. But one day I will write the book.
0: Not one day. In fact, two that,
1: books. I started yeah. two books. One was on leadership. The other one was a novel, <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. and
1: they're both halfway done.
0: This story tell, I think, I think it will be great. You, before you sign off, um, tell me about support systems. Say say some thank yous to people who have been there on this journey. Support Mention a couple system of who have been.
1: first is my family: my mom, my dad, my siblings, my aunts and uncles. We are so close and I can't tell you what a blessing this is. I see people think we're strange, we can go out together, and we sit there. It's a whole party full of people, but you find us sitting together, not because we're antisocial. We genuinely love each other's mm. company, mm. and they've always been there for me. I mean, um, y- you know, the kind of support they—they they, even if no one else wants to support you, you know that you know your family is yeah. there. But we enjoy good times together, simple moments, and for me, those are the most precious moments in time. I have a very supportive husband people ask you know how can you know you rise in your career and again this is a conversation for another day I'm not going to go into it but I'll say even that is a mistake I, I didn't plan any of this um, but I couldn't have done um, it in this way or thrived as much if I didn't have that support as well so my family first and foremost um, everyone who I come across my colleagues The team I have today, really, we have um, a a wonderful thing going. They will tell you themselves. I I saw a video, I think, was it a year or so ago? People were interviewing my colleagues about me, and you hear them say the same thing. Oh, she's tough. She's this. But we work really well together, and I really appreciate them. Um, Everyone who I I speak to, I appreciate. I'm not somebody who does things that they don't want to do. Right. So I, I thank everyone who's played a role in my life role models, people ask about mentors. I haven't had that many people I call mentors. You know, people take Influence mentorship, the but I've, they've influenced me in different ways. My bosses that I've worked with, the kind of confidence they've had in me, the, I've learned so much from them and we have good relationships today.
0: The running team I'll take from this conversation as we wrap up the MTG is about what you choose to call mistakes. And being a person of faith, I would use the word serendipity, divinely arranged moments that almost seem like chance and that are defining moments. So I'm going to ask you to, um, to, sign, to wrap up by speaking to that person who thinks they've made a mistake in life and, and, and helping them to appreciate that for all you know, that could be the turning point that you've been praying for. So over to you
1: so you know i use the word mistake very lightly and in a very casual way but the truth is i don't believe anything happens by mistake if you really get to hear my story i believe that well because of my position of faith i believe that god has ordered my steps but at the same time i believe that there is an opportunity out of every single crisis every moment every wrong turn you think you may have taken So I'd say embrace change, embrace opportunities. Don't be quick to say no to any opportunity you're given at any um, point in your life. Sometimes you may say no because you think you can't do it, but you may not have been given that opportunity if somebody higher didn't think you could do it. So I'd say try it and learn from it, grow from it, and you'll be all the stronger for it. So growth is important, and I wish you all the very best in your personal growth.
0: well, we thank you so much for making time for this conversation.
1: Thank you very much. Rev, if I can call you that. I'll but <laughs> Very, very fine.
0: But, but, but it's been great um, interacting with you, and you've been a blessing. Thank, you so, thank you so much.
1: I've enjoyed our time together.
0: Right. So find this article in the Daily Graphic, and and keep on being inspired by the story of of Tchibovi and the journey of her life. And I'm sure that for all of you listening and watching, there are touch points that you may have that you say, listen, you like the part about, about mistakes. I like the part about feet. Somebody says, no, I like the part about the blend between compassion and toughness. Whichever one it is that you like. There's a huge conversation going on on social media. Choose out of all the slides which one is your favorite and defend your, your, your favorite. Tell me why you like that one. And let's make this virtual university a global phenomenon as we just engage these thoughts and share our own experiences as well. You may not be in studio with Tuchi, but you, you may have a similar experience you want to share to inspire someone. Let's keep this conversation going in the virtual space. This has been Springboard, your virtual university, brought to you by the Springboard Ratio Foundation and proudly sponsored by MTM Pulse and the Enterprise Group with media support from the Multimedia Group and the Graphic communications group my name is albert okran saying god bless you god bless you and god bless you for so long we've been here we've been trying to break free change that